This is the Laughing Mind Podcast. And now your host, Ethan Tuxel. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Laughing Mind Podcast. And I am your host, Ethan Tuxel. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys. This is this is fantastic. This is episode 16 or 17 or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, this is this is a solo episode today. But I am very giddy that next episode I will have Dr. Valerie Stacy. She is a psychologist in the Pittsburgh area and a good friend of mine. And she bicycles for fun. She takes herself on a bicycle for leisure. And so, if nothing else, I'm going to have a good time making fun of her for that. Uh, But tune into that next episode. This week, however, we're talking about fear and excitement and how both of them are so important to having a balanced, healthy mind in life. So, grab your orange juice, put out your cigarette, keep driving, and here we go. Okay, so... Before we say anything about the specific emotions of fear and excitement, one thing that I, I, I want to keep saying is that giving language to our inner worlds, to what is happening inside of us, especially our feelings and thoughts, is so helpful. Because without language for that, we end up being prone to over-identifying with what happens inside of us. So when we have a feeling... If we aren't really able to identify what it is and have a name for it, it's much harder to not feel like we are that thing or that thing is a representation of who we are. So being able to have language for what is happening inside of us when our brain is sending these electrical impulse and our stomach is humming and our, and our, and our arms are tingling and our pits are sweating and our eyes are sagging, that is really helpful to be able to have that language. So... Let's start with fear. Well, okay, before we do that, the reason that we're talking about fear and excitement today is that these two emotions are actually incredibly similar in how they present in our bodies and our minds, but they operate functionally for us pretty differently. And we think about them very differently as well. So we're going to talk about how each of these contribute to us having unhealthy and healthy mindsets and how comedy intersects with both of these. So let's start with fear first. Okay, fear. Fear is the granddaddy of all emotions. It is the, from an evolutionary perspective, the oldest emotion that we have ever felt, that our ancestors, ancestors, ancestors felt. If all emotions were hanging out in a room, fear, like ironically, would be the old haggard racist in the corner that has just got, you know, sunken eyes and is drinking prune juice and and is and is going on about the old days. Fear has been around for us the longest. And if you think about why that is, fear has been the thing that has helped humans 
move from this small, scrappy bunch of formidable naked bipeds to who we've become today. What it, but, but why, is, why is that the case? Fear is the ultimate survival emotion. Fear is the emotion that sends us into a stress response of fight or flight. So when, you know, if the, the easy example, you're in a jungle and you see a bear and the bear is not wearing a fireman's cap or is not glibly stealing picnic food, a real fucking bear is there, you have this override in your brain so that instead of having to stand there and think, oh, there's a bear in front of me, what an odd thing. Oh, I think it's a grizzly bear and it's running towards me. Whatever shall I do? You don't, that's not what's happening. Your, your brain is, you know, you've gotten that visual input. This is a bear. Bam. Your body is being sent into fight or flight where adrenaline and cortisol are pumping through your body so that you either can put up your dukes and try and take down a 10 foot grizzly, or you can run up into a tree. That response has saved us so many times. And, and that mechanism is an incredibly useful tool in a species survival. So, when we think about fear, fear isn't an enemy. Like, fear itself, what is that fucking quote that, like, the only enemy uh, is fear itself? Sure, okay, but that that's, you know, pretty dumb when you think, like, if someone has a gun in your face saying fear itself is the enemy, I think, I think you're wrong. The problem is overactive fear. The problem is an over-functioning reaction of fear. Imagine there was a young fella in his early 20s, and he just bought his first house. It's a fixer-upper, a modest-sized ranch home, and it's out in the Pacific Northwest where it rains a lot. Several weeks after this guy moves in, there's this huge monster rainstorm. Hasn't rained this much in maybe 30 years. And the roads are so bad that, like, in the middle of the storm, he has to pull over and get in, get, you know, pull over into a cracker barrel and hang out and eat some catfish before things calm down. So hours later, he goes home, and he, when he goes into his basement, he finds a foot and a half of water is covering the floor. His sweet, sweet dead mother gave him this piano, and it's ruined, and all of his formal sneaker wear is just completely soaked and, and, and ruined. Thousands of dollars and meaningful mementos and memories are ruined. So this guy immediately the next day goes out and buys this high-tech flood system. And it normally is set at kind of that baseline of five, right in the middle. But he ramps it all the way up to 10, maxes that shit out. And internally, he's thinking, like, I will never let this happen again. Like, this is the worst day. I just bought this house. I lost all of these treasures. It sounds good, but now, every single time it so much as drizzles, he gets an emergency alert on his phone saying that your house is flooding. And the sensor doesn't have the ability to tell him how much water there is. It just is a simple alert that there is an emergency. And so... This goes on where in the middle of the night, he's getting these these alerts even if it just starts drizzling. He's at work, and he avoids all potential floods. Like, he's been able to do that, 
but he also is racing home several times a week during work and is being woken up in the middle of the night to run downstairs to find there is no water at all. Maybe it's sprinkling a little bit outside. Maybe your your neighbor Roxanne has just been shooting her shooting her hose off a little bit too much. So while he was able to avoid catastrophe and and in that vigilance, he ended up losing out on so much time, energy, sleep, and ultimately just peace in his life. This is a very simplified version of what is happening in our brain when we're responding to painful and traumatic events. Our mind is trying to calibrate to keep what happened from happening again. And that isn't a bad thing. There's something very kind of natural and in in some ways like you know thanks a lot mind like I appreciate how much you don't want me to you know go through that again but the problem is that we have we end up being paralyzed and overreacting in so many situations so you can generalize this to if you've had relational trauma or emotional trauma or sexual trauma it becomes this barrier in intimacy in friendships, um, in taking risks with our jobs, and our ability to relate to our children, and being able to just enjoy and have fun in life because our flood system is set up to attend so that anything, anything that seems to resemble that initial threat and catastrophe completely overrides and floods us. But again, just to reiterate, Fear isn't a bad thing. Fear is an incredibly helpful thing. And, and it's just when we have our minds have taken it much too far that it ends up being debilitating. There's a certain rigidity that occurs in us when we have overactive fear. Anytime I see a man walking, I, you know, maybe I feel threatened and have to you know, leave the situation or any time I, I, you know, am even going to get in a car. I can't get in a car because I was in an accident. And and that is a very like, again, simplified one-to-one version of this, but this happens to us. So there's an inner rigidity that occurs out of an attempt to keep us safe. The opposite is also true that when we are trying to exist in a way where there is no fear, no threats, that we end up living rigidly. To sum up, overactive fear is debilitating and and can be so detrimental to our mental health. This can be a huge contributor to feeling depressed, feeling unmotivated, feeling like I can't do anything, and helplessness, hopelessness. It can also be a humongous contributor to feeling chronically anxious. It can be a huge contributor to what it feels like to have post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, This can also split off into different addictive tendencies or eating disorders because it is a way of trying to cope with an overactive threat system, whether we're still in that situation that was threatening or not. So the answer, an obvious answer, seems like, well, we need to, you know, turn down the fear. Let's turn it down to zero. Let's never have any fear, right? Let's And that is too far of a swing for many reasons. Because human flourishing exists in this balance of certainty and uncertainty. Change in homeostasis. Growth and stability. 
a lot of what I end up talking with many people about in therapy is developing an inner sense of safety with themselves because when we've grown up in some type of environment where there wasn't consistent external safety, where there wasn't this help in learning how to regulate, navigate challenges in a way where we're taking risks and also allowed to struggle and fail, we we haven't learned how to trust ourselves, how to self-soothe, how to feel okay. But developing safety, it, it, that isn't so that we can just sit in a tub of lotion and just drink Ovaltine and watch Friends reruns until we die. As lovely as that sounds, after four days of that, come on, get the hell out of here. Like, that's so boring. Being able to develop an inner sense of safety is so that we can actually live and create and explore, date and experiment, fail. And as we're doing all of these things to expand and grow as people, because the world is fundamentally uncertain. There are, there are things that are consistent, but so much of what it means to be a person is to live like kind of on that razor's edge of certainty and uncertainty. And being able to develop an inner sense of trust and being able to recalibrate that fear response helps so that we can know we can weather uncertainty and difficulty it may actually be able to enjoy it. And that leads us into what excitement is. So excitement, like I was saying before, is the, the anatomy of this is so similar to fear. There is, within excitement, there is fear. There is uncertainty. There is possibility. There is anxiety. There are stakes, right? When you think about being excited about something, often there are stakes involved. Like, oh my God, I'm so excited about this promotion I might get at work. Or I'm so excited about the second date I'm going on. Or I'm so excited about putting my hand in this fireplace. Like, oh, what's going to happen? There are stakes involved in all of those. And when you have a life devoid of discomfort or change or challenge or uncertainty, that is so ultimately unfulfilling and boring. And <laughs> I don't know, there's part of me that think that's that's how we end up with people who are like hunting people on islands, which who knows if that's a real thing or not. But like when you have created and built a life where there is no discomfort at all, you, you sort of have to begin to emulate that in a twisted way. Anyway, the physiological response of fear and excitement are nearly are nearly identical and it happens in your brain in the limbic system that's where it starts the hypothalamus is a part of your brain that controls the body's stress response so let's say you're you're in that forest and you see that bear and it's not wearing a cute red shirt and saying things like oh bother the hypothalamus sends signals to your body to increase your breathing, your heart rate, to shoot off those stress hormones so your muscles contract and your pupils dilate and your palms are getting sweaty. That fear is an excitement. That's, that's the exact same response. The difference is the threat itself. So, you know, if you think about being in a situation where you're in a house and someone is breaking into that house, that is terrifying. That is fear. But if you're sitting 
in your house on your couch watching a movie of someone's house getting broken into that may still feel like fear but it's much more excitement and exciting because you are actually safe you are not your life is not being threatened in that moment that distinction is so important for us because many of us have experienced things in our lives that make us say, I never want to go through something like that again. And often that generalizes out to, I don't ever want to feel that way again. And to, to try and deal with that, we do many, 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 many things to get rid of uncertainty, to get rid of risk, to get rid of struggle. And when it's interesting, so when I'm doing kind of like initial assessments with a lot of people and I ask them like okay so think about a year from now if you and I have been working together what what changes do you want to see in your life so many people's answer is I just want to feel happy I just want to feel happy and that is a beautiful and totally worthy pursuit especially if you feel like you haven't felt happy for months or years but when people when we think about what life we want happiness is often equated with a lack of discomfort and a lack of struggle and a lack of risk. I want to have all my bills paid off. I want to be in the spot that I want to be in with my work. I want to make sure that all our kids are perfectly healthy and safe and basically that nothing wrong or bad or threatening is happening. One way that you can think about this is how America has conceptualized retirement. This idea that you work your ass off for 40, 45 years, grueling, your, grueling hours, putting in all this time, and then when you hit 65 or 67 and a quarter, whatever the hell it is now, you get to just do nothing. That, that is where you get to finally <laughs> enjoy the fruits of your labor and just sit on a beach and do nothing. And both sides of that are such a distortion of what a balanced life looks like because it demonizes work and it puts on a pedestal this idea of being able to do nothing, to have zero stressors in your life. When actual human flourishing lies in that in-between, because if... Man, I, I just turned 30 this year. I can't tell you how much in the past few years I've started to notice an internal resistance to change and difficulty in certain things. Like my fiance might be bringing up uh, something she saw on TikTok and it has to do with like our food industry or it has to do with the way that, you know, um, the difference in how women around the world are treated. And there's some part of me sometimes that goes, I just don't want to have to deal with this. I just don't want to have to think about living differently. or not even living differently. Just have to think about the world differently. I'm comfortable. I'm drinking. I'm drinking my drink in bed. And I just want to be cozy in that space. 
and that's a really natural human instinct. But the but the problem with that is we need something pushing back on us to be able to feel alive, to feel, to, to know that we are having a meaningful, substantial existence. And a way you can think about this is that evolution, the changing life force that has propelled life forward for billions of years, is always changing. It is in, in, in a microscopic way, in a very small, measured way, in our own scope, but we are always in the process as an ecosystem, as a universe, in a state of change. And it's very difficult as people to find a balance between not just surviving and existing in a state of fear, but also not existing in a state of just pure, bland, homeostasis where there is no risk or challenge or struggle. Think about the times where you feel most alive, where you feel like most yourself, where you feel most fulfilled. uh, (laughs) there's There's a quote that I don't know who it's from, but it goes something like that. No one has ever had a life-changing moment on the beaches of Hawaii. No, like, in that, a place that is so beautiful and and pleasurable, that's not where we grow. And it is not to say that spending weeks on a beach in Hawaii is wrong. God, no. Uh, I'm so jealous of that. But it's it's simply that by being able to identify is the fear in me that is coming out, is that an accurate reaction to the threat? You know, like, is that an accurate response? But by being able to breathe and observe yourself and observe your own responses, maybe part of what's going on is that your fear response is turned up so high. And if that's happening... I would suggest you seek some some help from a mental health professional because that is a big thing and that is legitimate. Um, but it's possible too that you've been trying so hard to create a stable life that you've gone so far in the other direction that you don't even remember what excitement feels like. And to, to tie this all together, comedy exists in this space. My God, if you've ever been to a comedy show, just sitting there knowing like there's this excitement of fear of like this could go terribly wrong, especially if you're at an improv show or any type of like amateur level comedy, you don't know how it's going to go. And even if you go see someone that you really like, you know, it's possible that it they might bomb. It's possible that it won't go well. And from the comedian's perspective, comedy is so much about playing in that uncertain space, playing in a space where it's not entirely clear what the rules are. It's not entirely clear what's PC, what's not. How is this crowd going to respond to a joke about their own town? There is so much in that that is both fear and excitement. And that is a beautiful 
practice and a representation of being able to flourish is is being and, and if you think about like Eddie Murphy had an insanely hot start to his career. Eddie Murphy was 22 when he recorded his first album, his first comedy album, Delirious. And he, oh my God, I mean, he he was a fucking legend in the comedy world on SNL. He reinvigorated SNL in the 1980s. He was so funny and so novel and so good at what he was doing. But at a certain point, he stopped doing comedy because he, what he said was like, he had run out of material. He had run out of real life material because he was just on the road talking about comedy and had gotten so big that it was kind of, there wasn't as much humor in that space. There wasn't humor because there was just certainty. There was so much certainty and so much sameness. And comedy often comes from uncertainty and novelty and different ideas and people and places. So where does that land us? I don't fucking know, guys. I mean, I'm I'm in this with you, and I find myself kind of teetering back and forth in this balance. But all I would say to finish is just that being able to identify what is fear what am I, is this thing that I'm feeling fear and also like, and usually this is going to have to happen afterwards because fear just hijacks us most of the time, but is this fear like an accurate or even like proportionate response to this? Or is this just the possibility of excitement? Is this thing I'm feeling excitement and can I go towards that, towards possibility, towards the good of what could happen towards being vulnerable and taking a risk? And can I learn more how to be comfortable being uncomfortable in that space? Because that is where the juice is. That is where my guess is most of those moments you were thinking about where you felt most alive and most yourself, a lot of those come in that space of excitement and uncertainty, not when there is utter certainty. And, and no struggle and no discomfort. You're just lying in that bathtub of, of sweet, sweet dove lotion. So that's it for today, guys. That is everything on fear and <laughs> excitement. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can get updates and automatically push episodes every two weeks. And make sure to follow on Instagram, The Laughing Mind Podcast, or Facebook, The Laughing Mind Podcast rate review on wherever you get your podcasts and as always thank you guys so much for being with me and listening next episode again is psychologist dr val stacy i'm so excited to have her on she is a goober and we're gonna have a, a good time talking mental health and comedy um so i will see you guys next time